Okay, we should probably get to it, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So call me back in a couple of minutes, and we'll start. We'll start afresh. Yes, we shall. Uh, is it my turn to shout out the block, or is no? It it's your... my turn. It's my turn. I never remember. Wow, it's an I'm odd bad. number episode. <laughs> no, for real. That's how I remember. It's an odd number episode, which means it's me. Okay, that makes sense. That makes it's, sense. It's episode twenty-seven. I just love the idea. I'm going to go back and listen. I'm like. Graham's been doing it consistently. He just lied because he loves the block naming so much. He just tells me every time. That's, that's how. That's how bad man. Name another block in your life. <laughs> okay. Listeners, uh, my name is Jeff Lester, and welcome to Drock, a monthly read-through of Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files. And joining me today, as with every episode, is my lovely and talented co-host, Graham McMillan. Hi, Whatnots. Hi, listeners. I am the one who is going to be telling you the following pieces of information, all of which are very important to the episode you're about to hear. One, we're coming to you from Verity Lambert Block. Two, we're covering Complete Case Files Volume 24, which Jeff and I both, I think, may struggle to have a lot to say about. Mm -hmm. It is material from 1995 and 1996, which means we're covering stuff from 25 years ago, Jeff. Quarter of a century. Oof. Yeah, right? Isn't that weird? 2000 AD Progs 959 through 983 and Magazine Volume 3, uh, Issues 4 through 16. Uh, written by uh, a lot of people. John Wagner does a lot of the 2000 AD material, but not all of it, because Alan Grant, Pat Mills, Mark Miller uh, show up as mm -hmm. writers of that. And in the magazine, it's, oh God, it's everyone. Robbie Morrison, Jim Alexander, Wagner himself, Andrew Cartmel, John Smith does a few, mm -hmm. uh, Alan Barnes does one, Paul Neal does one. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of writers from here, artists, Again, it runs the gamut. John Burns is in here. Carlos Scarra is in here. Colin McNeil is in here. Steve Yole's in here. Anthony Williams is here. In the uh, magazine, there is someone called Maya Gar Gavin, who I've never seen before, whose stuff I loved. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different artists all throughout this. It's a, it's a fairly varied book, don't you think? Oh, I think so. I think so. Um, one of the things one that... might even say uneven. <laughs> You know, I, I I think what I think is interesting about this volume, uh, among the many other things, is that um, and perhaps part of the reason why it might, I feel like it might be a shorter episode potentially for us, is that it, it was highly competent overall. And there was stuff in there that I thought was pretty good and then a few a, f a few misfires um but but it wasn't like you know i feel like we've managed to make our way through the badlands and the cursed earth of the you know post wagner volumes you know and and things here are um strong and and i think we see a, a continuing trend of other um, writers, apart from Wagner, being able to write a pretty decent uh, dread story, but maybe not necessarily a great dread story. And so, 
Uh, I, I'm tempted to write off almost all of the magazine material mm-hmm. as fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Morrison and Alexander and even Smith, who I've had a lot of time for in the past, writing entirely competent threat. Yeah. It's not really going to knock your socks off, but also it's not as out of character as Ennis, uh, Miller, or e- even um, elsewhere in this book, the Pat Mills story, which, you know, isn't a dread story for all intents and purposes. Oh, yeah. The you Pat know? Mills story. Oof, boy, that'll yeah, be fun yeah. to talk about. But yeah. But it's, it's, it is. It's fine. I mean, it's 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 not it's not terrible. It's not wonderful. It does the job. Some right? some of these stories actually are. I I think for me the bar has been set pretty low. If it's not a Wagner story, I'm like, if it's competent, I will like it. What's interesting is there are a few stories here that I really liked. That I was like, oh. That's in, a, in the magazine? Yeah, in the magazine, actually. Okay, let's start there. Because okay. for me, the most interesting parts of this book are 2080. Yes. Both in terms of highs and lows. Uh, I I would say that is true. Um, I think that Blood Sports, you'd mentioned the, the art by uh, Maya Gavin. The script is by Andrew Cartmel. It's the only work that I think he's done for... Um, the comics, apparently he's done at least two. He, he did some novel novels. stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and apparently was, um, very involved with, uh, some of the seasons of Doctor Who. So I thought, I thought Blood Sports was actually a story that felt, was the closest I felt to Wagner in terms of trying to do something that has a lot of different parts and having them having all those parts kind of come together. Yeah, exactly. And so I think as much as I enjoyed Maya Gavin's heavily sort of gorgeously impressionistic style art, it kind of, I'm not sure if it necessarily worked uh, all the way through with the story. In a few parts, it really heightens things. And in others, I found myself being like, Wait, I I'm more confused as to who is doing what on this page than I should, and part of that is because again, Cartmel's got a lot of moving parts. But this story, which actually has several uh, judges apart from Dread, more or less out on a night in Mega City, and and the disparate threads of their various um, encounters uh, intersecting was was you know a, a little was a little more ambitious than just i want to tell a a good story with boing in it you know and, and or or the simp i feel like simps have shown up a lot in the last couple of volumes yes and with less and less impact every time they do well you know and this is the part that i have to admit is on the one hand um I finished this volume, like, you know, because because the the collections are so substantial, it's like 300 pages, um, I think I tackled it in like maybe three nightly chunks to get through sure. it the first time, maybe four. The last one, Papa might have been a little bit high, and so high enough that he, when he looked at the uh, script credits, even though it said John Smith... 
he read it as John Wagner. And let me tell you, when you think that John Wagner is writing Mondo Simp, you're really impressed at how different a voice that seems <laughs> for Wagner. I was like, this is amazing. Um, I actually ended up liking Mondo Simp, and this is going to sound um, uh, kind of funny considering the way I normally take on it, but I, I actually thought, and I might well have been high for it as well, that The Man Who Broke the Law, the Mark Miller story, were both pretty decent anti-dread dread stories. Like, they're both... Um, uh, Miller, I think more so, is being super, super cheeky. I am firmly convinced that Mark Miller thinks that he is the man who broke the law because, haha, he's writing a story where he's actually critiquing Dredd and the judges. Uh, and I think Mondo Simp is, by Smith, is just a. I spent a lot of time being very. Uh, it's a real compare and contrast with Wagner's simp story because Wagner's simp story in the same volume is kind of like uh, both of them take, I would say, uh, sexual freedom and specifically being out and gay as the undertone for simpness. Um, mm-hmm. Wagner's story has a notorious simp on a talk show and is in the process of proudly outing other closeted simps. Um, and Mondo Simp is is actually, I think, a really good story about ecstasy, the drug, um, that also is uh, about sexual freedom. And I like, I, for me, Mondo Simp, I liked because it was a story that is a little closer to what I suspect a lot of people wanted to do with Judge Dredd, which is essentially write an updated Repent Harlequin said the TikTok man, you know, for in, in the Dredd setting. And I, and I think that, I think that Smith did it. I ended up being kind of weirdly touched by a lot of it again. I was kind of tripping balls, so it was probably much easier for me to be genuinely moved by the story of an incredibly sad, neurotic billionaire who being hit by, you know, an intoxicating happy gas from a simp gun more or less manages to reverse all of his previous years of depression. So I was into that. I honestly, so the magazine, which you... uh, absolutely 100% is the the least interesting stuff and it's very interesting seeing people who we know go on to become very strong heavy hitters for dread like Robbie Morrison uh didn't stuff really didn't knock me out even you know yeah even Wagner stuff for the magazine yeah. feels astonishingly light and throwaway mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. killing time is is a fun strip judge spotters in my opinion less so but both of them feel like filler, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Uh, really, the 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 benefit of the magazine stuff for me is the art. Mm-hmm. Like I think Paul Marshall actually turns in really good stuff here. Yeah, which one? Is, which one is Killing Time again? Is Killing Time the... is the Judge Dredd has a day off. Oh right, which I really I was like, oh my god, this person it doesn't understand Dread at all, and I'm like, 
Oh. And and I think there is something that's really important here is there's which I think you had alluded to. Um there is some really important pivots that happen in this volume of dread uh that bring dread more in line with traditional police stories and of course that really um hits its apex at least so far when you know in the pit but yes. uh but killing time itself is a story that more or less could literally could not happen in dread continuity um because one of the things about the judges is they more or less only got the 10 minutes in the sleep machine a day or whatever and one well, until Wagner brings in this new gimmick exactly exactly and so as the story unfolded and i realized what i was looking at was um was was a Wagner story and it was a Wagner story that was a little bit about this change in status quo and and kind of making dread a bit of a bit of an anachronism uh, at, in in threat of of becoming a man out of time in a way um which is not the first time Wagner has brought that up yeah exactly no and one of the things i like about killing time about the the pit in particular Mm-hmm. is it sort of underscores why Dread is not the Dread that Ennis was writing. Mm-hmm. Which is to say, Dread is not superhuman. Mm-hmm. And Dread is also not, for want of a better way of putting it, the best cop. Mm-hmm. Right? Dread is flawed. Mm-hmm. And, and Dread is not, you know, for the pit. He's not the natural section house chief. And is arguably not even a great section house chief. And he can't do time off. It's just not something he is able to do. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because one of the things I actually like about The Pit is seeing Dredd in a, in a very different role for him. And, yes, which, and, which I think is, yeah. is the value of it. Oh, right. I, I mean, well, honestly, I think there's a lot of value. For myself, I pretty much adored all of the pit um you know it it it's just it's great it it was but it was also realizing among other things <laughs> there was a little bit of the way in the past dread has always been and you get this for whatever reason i was like wait why all of a sudden do all of these people have partners why are the judges going out in teams you know and i'm like has that always been the case or like you know one of the things that i feel uh as an especially sometimes um poor choice of podcasting co-host for this particular show is i think it would be easier for me to excuse the things that just happen in in the dread strip incrementally over time if you're reading it week in week out over years and then suddenly you realize you know oh yeah, hey yeah. wait a minute but reading it in this concentrated dose um i would think that i would be able to be more observant 
about some of these things. And yet I do find myself being flummoxed. Like, wait, is the partners, the idea that the dread, that the, the judges team up in partners, like, isn't, is that a, is that a Volt thing? Because Volt's doing these new initiatives or has that always been the way and Dredd's always been a loner apart from when he's doing a hot dog thing or taking a, a you know, doing a, a here, here's your first day rookie sort of deal, you know? Like, I just found it very strange. And and one of the things I both liked about the pit was how much it felt like finally... British TV had gotten good enough for John Wagner to start watching it instead of just watching, you know, his favorite <laughs> instead of it being like, Oh, here's, here's Wagner or here's Wagner and Grant riffing on creature from the black lagoon or the wild one or something. Here is, here is a cop show, you know? Um, I, I mean, it's funny you say British TV cause I'm like, it's Hill street blues, Jeff. You know, it, it probably is because I, because I, I except it's not cause it's the mid nineties. So it's probably what homicide. I mean, I don't know It it felt closer to homicide. That would make more sense. And, and I say that as someone who didn't see the show, but read the book. Um, but the parts that reminded me so much of the wire, but I was like, this can't be the Sweeney, is it? Like, you know. No, no, no. It's definitely, it's definitely not the Sweeney. Yeah. So it's probably Homicide. I'm just looking at the the dates Homicide ran from. Oh, well, that would make a lot of sense, I think. I Homicide's mean, ninety three through ninety nine, and this yeah. is published, like I said, ninety five through ninety six. Yeah. So that so, makes a ton. Well, yeah. and I mean, so there's that, and there is the Hill Street Blues. There's probably NYPD Blue in there, and so, you know, you've got. For among other things, you've got judges paired up, and and one thing that I think is interesting is that Dread came out of the seventies, and and I think also you know a mishmash of influence, but you know the movies like and in the movies you're much more likely to have a one tough cop stands alone like the buddy the buddy cop movie is something that kind of comes along in the 80s but you know writers generally are like oh it's it's great to have cops who are partners because you have that intimacy you can build the drama it's very easy to exchange exposition it just solves a whole bunch of problems and creates a bunch of stories and there's a lot of great conflict in the pit that runs from you know Judges that are partners, judges that are working at opposite cross purposes, partner, you know, judges that stick up for one another. And you see Dread. What's interesting is, is that Dread seems to act like all of that is really natural. And so I think I'm the one where I'm like, but wait, is this, is this, was it, was it always this way? Graham, do you know? Am I just completely lost and still... Yeah, it was, but we've seen hints that it has been like this, and Wagner takes advantage of the fact that the pit kind of allows for a soft reboot. Oh, very because, much so. Yeah, because he arrives in a different locale inside Mega City One, where the rules can be different. Yes, Wagner could justifiably get away with saying, "Well, no, they've always been in partners in Section House." 12 or whatever it is. Right, because the streets are so brutal because it's the pit, you know. Yeah, yeah. and in fact, I was like, wondering if that was the case. Yeah, so. Yeah, so more often than not, we are seeing judges solo. We've seen them in pairs before. More often than not, when we're seeing a judge and a rookie. 
Right. Or a judge and a judge who has just recently graduated. We've seen that pairing a number of times. Well, We've yeah. seen judges mm -hmm. work together on cases a number right. of times as well. Right. Mm -hmm. But the idea that they consistently work in pairs is something that is maybe not brand new for this, but certainly very recent. Thank you. Traditionally, okay. you see judges solo. Thank you. That is great. So it was a, of huge benefit, but it was also... I don't know if you've had this, but there's... And the, I've always been meant to bring it up for the last three or four podcast episodes, and I've never gotten in, never gotten there. But I always have a weird moment in the last couple of these case files where I'm like, oh, right, Dredd doesn't take his... He never takes his helmet off, you know? And by reading, having read it for so long, it's invisible to you, but I'll have a moment where I'm like, like in uh, the pit, where every single person ha takes the helmet off for, you know, to good dramatic effects and things like that, but especially inside this station house, and then they put it on when they're inside. And it's just, you know, the, the Ballad of Devil Angel has a, you know, uh, Grant piece that I, I actually would thought was quite fun, but it's of course super whimsical. And at one point you see dread taking a bath and he's reading a book and scrubbing himself with a bath brush. And of course his helmet's on, you know? Yeah. And there is the little bit of once every once in a while, I find myself being like, Oh wait, like there's, there's ways in which, of course, the judge dread the magazine, the whole strip rests on dread's shoulders. But there's also that very strange way that the strip ends up kind of weirdly held back. You know, like you're kind of at that point, at least for me, where I'm like, oh, I've read so many of these. It doesn't seem weird that he's the only guy who never takes off his helmet. But if you spend a moment thinking about it, you're like. There's no reason why he's the only person who won't take off his helmet. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those, like, eh, no, it's, you know, it's it's the one gimme that you have with the character in a way. Um, anyway, I, I don't really think that I wish I had something super sophisticated to say to bring that back in and be like, <laughs> well, yeah, and Wagner what, himself funny, is talking you about. Know, we we yeah. got there from talking about the, the magazine stories. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I kind of want to save the pit until we finish. We, finish the magazine. we should. Yes, but, absolutely. But in part, in large part, it's because the pit is by far the most interesting thing in the book for me. And the magazine stories coming after the pit. Uh, the, the oh, pit yeah. Is, the pit is a significant status quo change and goes on for, I think, around like half a year. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and you don't get all of it in this book. It, mm -hmm. it cuts off midway through. Mm -hmm. And I should say it can do that because the pit, unlike Oz or the Cursed Earth or, or Necropolis, isn't one story. Yes. It's like you a said, bunch it's of like a reboot, be practically. Yeah, because yeah. you, yeah, because you basically reset the strip, but you go from halfway through the pit to going to the magazine, mm -hmm. and it feels like culture shock to me. It's because it, one of the things that because you have mm -hmm. Robbie Morrison, you have Jim Alexander, you have John Smith, they all feel like they're inventory tales. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? They all they all feel like they're tales that that were written with no eye to to like a larger continuity. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, whereas Wagner, you could even tell in the 2008 thing, Wagner writes the first story and then, uh, you know, basically disappears from the rest of the 2008 thing until the pit. But in the first story, he sets up the pit. Mm-hmm. He has bolts basically say, I'm putting you in charge of the sector house. Right. And then there's, you know, five stories where that's just not really mentioned. Mm-hmm. Well, and then all he's, of a he's there, and yeah. you know it's it's a weird thing where you feel that Wagner is trying to set up some sort of continuity or some sort of idea that that things have consequences, mm-hmm. you know. And one of the things about the magazine is nothing really has consequences because of the round robin nature of that series, that it is consistently evolving writers, mm-hmm. that it feels very haphazard to me. Yeah. Well, I, what's ironic is I feel previous volumes, when you had Wagner doing amazing work in the magazine, 2000 AD felt the same way. You know? Yes, and, exactly. It's, it's wherever Wagner is sort of leading the charge. Yeah. You feel like something's going on, and whenever it's it's others, mm-hmm. it's it's not really feeling like that, you know? Well, I, I it is – it seems to be an interesting and necessary balance, probably in the nature of – how much dread material is being published every year. But, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago, whatever it was when I got myself the digital subscription uh, to 2000 AD and the magazine, um, it became apparent that dread was something where the serialized stories and then the one-offs kind of swam in and out, you know. In the cow files, which I did want to talk about in part because it's also really quite good, um, yeah, the Califiles and, and the Pit are are the two yeah. strongest stories. Also, the two extended Wagner runs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Um, the Califiles is great, but I do think there is a part at the end where Volt says, like, okay, I'm glad that you're going to do the section house. Um, I'll leave it to you to announce that you're going to be coming. And Dredd says something like, that would be best. I have a number of cases to wrap up. And so I think it's kind of nice and easy to pretend that all this other stuff that happened between them, you yeah. know, it's is... are, are the other cases. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, again, God bless if I hadn't read enough, um, Pat, you know, I read Pat Mills sort of auto bio self-published screed volume, um, knowing how frequently he has stories that get scheduled and then fall off the schedule and then have to get finished a year later, you know, in part because he's usually fighting so heavily for his artists or whatever. But seeing Hammerstein, which is follows the cow files, just be such a tremendous bait and switch of oh, it's one of the ABC warriors, we're reintroducing him, we're setting him up with the conflict for dread, and we'll get back to that someday. Someday. Maybe. Someday. We probably shouldn't have, like, hyped this on the back of our Case Files volume, but, you know, what can you do? Gotta move some copies. <laughs> um, so... Well, of course, Hammerstein uh, is in the Dread movie, which is which is contemporaneous with this. Oh. Ah. I see. I see. Well, I mean, honestly, I have to say I liked the Mills material if it wasn't for the fact that it didn't really have an ending. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a fact that it had just not an ending, and also it's not a Judge Dredd story. Yeah, no, exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Right. I see. I think it is fine. But honestly, the fact that it is not a Judge Dredd story at all, and again, doesn't have an ending or even really a middle, um, really leads me to go, why is it here? Yeah. Why is it in this book other than were they really just being oddly completist about this? It has a Judge Dredd logo. It was in 2008, therefore. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, you know? it's got, yeah. You know, Cause I it mean... Does, doesn't belong in here, right? Well, I mean, I haven't seen the follow-up. I don't even know if there is a follow-up. I would assume there is, but maybe there's not. But I'm just saying, like, I feel like there have been enough um, false leads over the year. I think, wasn't there, was it Miller or whatever, where it was like, uh, yes, it is us, the nefarious Sino-judges, and boy, look out, Dread, we're going to teach you a lesson, the end? And that was it. You know, there was no dread in there. It took place in Dread's world, and they were talking about dread the whole time. But yeah, but that was that was like officially a dread strip, wasn't it? Well, like, but I mean, is, this is supposed to be. This is like this. It this is this is the first part of the three. You know, what have been what would have been the eight pages no, wait, of I, yeah yeah. I'm literally looking at it. It's uh, it appeared in the same issues as the Cal files. Hmm. Oh, of course it does. Right. Nine five nine through nine six three. Yeah, okay. Huh. Weird. So it's not the dread strip. It it's it's a strip that has a judge dread logo on it. <laughs> so huh. Oh. So do you think it's like that's, they were I think it's an extra strip. I think it's an additional strip. Whoa, that's weird and not smart. Do you, I think because they couldn't they needed this the breaking point that they had for the pit, like they couldn't go several episodes in further hey that seems really weird to me but i don't know because it's because it's it is again it's not a dread strip it mm-hmm. is for all intents and purposes uh a, an abc warrior strip yeah absolutely absolutely you know and it runs uh four episodes mm-hmm. dreads doesn't appear I, unless i'm entirely misremembering there's no judges in it either oh there are judges yeah 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 there are yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the 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 whole gist of the story, the setup is, is that the the ABC Warriors are the guys who are defending uh, President What's His Dingle from the judges, and so Hammerstein is part of a defense force that it was holding off. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. yeah. You see a corpse of a judge. You see a corpse oh, no, of a judge. You you do. You see some. You see some random judges. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I, I actually literally forgot that because that's how memorable that strip is. <laughs> um No, but it it's it is it's it's an ABC Warrior strip for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's I don't understand why it's here. I genuinely don't, other than it has the Judge Dread logo on it. Oh, okay. Well yeah, exactly. I figured again that it was gonna tie in later, like I said. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we should roll back and talk some more about the cow files because, damn, that was a good strip, I have to say. Um, and that's the other part is going from Wagner to going to Mills and Tony Skinner. Um, like, I actually ended up really enjoying Mills's level of bombast here. Um, and of course, the it, bait it, and in contrast to Wagner ending. being very understated. Um, I I don't I guess so. I mean, I enjoyed I enjoyed Wagner being very understated. I mean, of course, then Dead Simple kicks in, so you know, the subtlety goes right back out the window. I, I 
You know what I mean? Like, I think one of the no, things... No, that's true. No, I, I, was, yeah. I was specifically referring to Cal Files, which I think is a, an actual, an understated version of, of Wagner. And it's, it's oh, a relatively understated so, yeah. dread. Mm-hmm. You know, you're mm-hmm. right. Dead Simple is is 100% not. Yeah. Dead Simple is broad comedy Wagner. Right. Exactly. And then you follow it up with The Ballad of Devil Angel, which is even more broad comedy dread via Grant. So... You know, what was odd about this volume was that there was, um, you know, back in the old golden days where it's Wagner and Grant, they were able to switch gears effortlessly and somehow there was a continuity to it. Maybe it was also because, for the most part, most of their serious stuff didn't necessarily get that serious and therefore the super ridiculous stuff didn't feel especially out of place, but it's, this volume is a, is definitely a little bit of a, a hodgepodge and God knows the Mills Hammerstein strip really does underscore that where you're it just like, at home, some would say, <laughs> why didn't I think of saying that? Have, have um, I been hoping for a chance to use that pun? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. Thank you, Jeff, the, for providing that excuse. I I am so glad that I could uh, oblige. Uh, no, but yeah. it's it's entirely true. This is, and, and we've had scattered, you know, all over the place collections in the past, uh, and this is still again. All of this is fine. I, I, get, I would say the worst of it is in 2008. I'm glad you like, enjoyed the Mark Miller story. I thought it was genuinely fucking terrible. But uh, honestly, I, I thought that Devil Angel was kind of terrible as well. But we've read worse, I guess. Yeah. You know, we, yeah, yeah, we've yeah. seen a lot worse than is in this volume. But mm-hmm. it, it does feel, you know, there, there's no... With the exception of The Pit, which is 14 episodes of one writer in a row, you don't really get to settle into a groove at any point in this book. No, and I think that is also a really good point uh, to to be made, is, is that it it's a... Whereas, whereas the earlier volumes of Dread sort of felt like, oh, this is a place where, any, you know, a strip where you can kind of have... Uh, anything happen and it more or less makes sense or you can make it make sense um there's just at the by this point it just kind of feels a little schizophrenic i guess is maybe not the best way to put it but it it doesn't (laughs) what's funny is that was like i was trying not to say that but that was exactly the way i was thinking about as well Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. dread is at its best a very multifaceted strip Mm-hmm. Uh, and can do everything from you know subtle political uh, satire or honestly just simple political statement to broad comedy, and at its best it can do all those things almost within the same strip, and everything yes. exists and it works. And mm-hmm. one of the problems with this volume in particular is it doesn't. This stuff does not seem to coexist. Mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. it it often seems in conflict. And so, yeah, I think that's it. Mm -hmm. You do feel as if, with the exception of the pit. I mean, if this was a book that collected the cow files in the pit, and that was it, right? You you would know what you're reading, you know, Mm -hmm. and you would you. There's enough of a tone, even though there is 
variation between the Galapagos and the pit. There's even variation within the pit in terms of tone, in terms of intent of stories. Oh, but yeah. there, there's there's enough of an idea of this is Dread, this is World. This is what a Dread story is. But when you get, when you add in all the magazine stuff, when you add in, you know, Ballads of Devil Angel, where Alan, Alan Grant is writing a much broader comedy, even than Dead Simple than me, for me, you know? Yes, uh, absolutely. When you add in mm-hmm. Mark Miller's The Man Who Broke the Law, which... I mean, literally ends with Judge Dredd going, judges aren't human. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. When, when uh, yeah. you add in mm-hmm. the, the, the various writers in the magazine who all seem to be working towards the same goal, but doing so in different ways and to different degrees of success, it just consistently feels, it feels like an anthology of what ifs almost, where, where people yeah. are, are giving different ideas of like, well, this could be a dread. Yes. No, I think I think that is the part. One of the things that is a stunner is how much Miller gets to come back and write dread because he very consistently and deliberately misunderstands the character. And and in a way, I actually thought, don't get me wrong, The Man Who Broke the Law is a good story for Mark Miller. And I think that that is because if you look at each page of it, the, the page progression is really, for at least the first chunk of the story, Miller being... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's usually, it's typical for Mark Miller. He's kind of a little bit of the, oh, look how naughty I'm being, you know, sure. but the, the buildup of all these, you know, sort of like these judges are acting really stupidly out of character. And he's like, no, no, no. You know, you don't find out that they're going footsie until page five and it's just the judges. But the build up to that to me is that every page you're like, oh, this guy, how do I put it? Like there there are times, as you know, where I feel like dread stories sometimes have very, um, to me, like very hidden manifestos of what the writer really more or less, um, quote unquote, believes. And I think that Miller starts off with a story that is written so broadly and badly for the first four or five pages and then and then comes up with his explanation as to why everyone's writing is is out of character that that you basically find yourself being like Okay, so to me, that's very much him saying like, no, 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 all of you people keep saying that I write dread out of character. I am, I'm, I am breaking the law. I am literally not writing dread in character because dread is not a character that I can ever want to make you sympathize or empathize with. I'm not saying that's great. And I mean, again, it's in that sort of little, you know, ooh, teehee, look at me, I'm being naughty. I mean, well, honestly, that's, that's the fact just that... It. Like, you yeah. know, the, the end of the first episode, the shocking thing that the judge does is mm-hmm. he projects on the moon, Judge Dredd wears a bra. Mm-hmm. Which is just, it is... I mean, it's just, it's just pathetic. <laughs> you know? I know, I know. Like mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. not it's not even a funny punchline. Mm-hmm. 
Do you know what I mean? It's it's just this weird. I don't know. There's something about that 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 was that really made me go, Mark Miller, you you, you never change. You yeah. always try and be shocking without any ability to shock. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it. There, I think there is a reason. I did wonder if there was a if it was just a sort of fond in joke or bitchy stab that the the name of the the simp who keeps using the same um punchline catchphrase over and over in um in Wagner's story is named Miller if that was you know deliberate or not you know it's like the character that he has who's like oh look how outrageous i am dance vicar you know is like i'm like Maybe, maybe Wagner's taking the piss. I don't know. Maybe it was a tribute. I don't know. But the so just to make, I I actually did feel that for whatever it was worth, I thought that Miller was, um, I mean, like you said, he's he he's exhausting in in such a weird Mike Myers ish sense um, that I'm just I don't I just don't even want to deal with him but i did have a thing of like okay that's you know this this i think i think this actually unlike a lot of miller's stuff was trying to do something other than get paid so you know um sort of again done much better uh with the closing story in this volume from john smith so but yeah it but uh, which is to say like part of me is like what's frustrating is is that is a story that is that deliberately misunderstands uh, dread. One of the stories that I like the most in here, and it's in the 2000 AD portion, is Champ or C H A M P. I'm not sure because they spell it out. Which is the Dan Abnett Roboxer yeah. story. Yeah. I thought that is actually a really well done, you know, done in one that's six pages you know, and really manages to put things through its, it's put everything through its paces and also manages to understand how dread works. And I think how a dread story works, that was just so that everyone doesn't like, you know, TP my house for saying good things about a Mark Miller dread story. I do want to point out that I think that Once you get away from Wagner, like Abnett's Champ is is probably my favorite yeah. in the volume. No, Abnett's Abnett's Champ is 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 pretty good. And one of the things that it does so well is something we've talked talked about before for the the you know the quote unquote premiere of Dread. It's a story, and it's a, a Will Eisner story. It's a spirit story. Yes, where absolutely. Dread is basically a bystand. Yeah, you know the the main character is the boxing robot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, but and yes. that that is something that you know certainly Ennis missed, and Morrison and Miller missed as well when they were writing Dread. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. if you're writing Dread on a regular basis, the majority of the stories aren't about Dread or shouldn't be about mm-hmm. Dread. Mm-hmm. You know, you focus on Dread, it, maybe not rarely, but but I would say you focus on Dread less than you focus on other people. Mm-hmm. Well, although one thing that I do like about the dread in Abnett's volume, in, in Abnett's story, is even though you see so little of him, he is, 
he he ultimately ends up being a bigger bastard in a way that is more convincing, I think, than than Miller's attempt. Because Dredd is the only guy, although he uses Champ to help him bust out and take down um the 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 fixer, the roadboxer the guy who's running the illegal row boxing matches who's who's managed to catch dread um you know dread basically on the one hand treats champ with like more or less just gives it to him straight but also doesn't do any kind of attitude like kind of just treats him with respect and then on the last page he's like yeah uh, customized robe boxers are illegal junk. You know what to do. And, you know, and it just gets this character that we've come to really empathize with, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it like a good Will Eisner story. It's a sentimental heartstring tugger that, that trade that works heavily by using the stereotype shorthands to get you where you need to go. Um, but, but oh, it worked for me. Um, the whole that whole like, what's the requiem for a heavyweight or whatever? It just it 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 was um, it it would it bummed me out. But also, what I thought was great was, it's not a story about dread. But if you look at how dread is handled, he's actually handled with um, nuance, you know. And that's one of the things that I think that as we get into all these volumes, people kind of can't wrap their brain around. And maybe that is the Wagner's secret weapon is, is that dread can be the straight man. Dread can end up adding to the ridiculousness, but dread himself is, how do I put it? Like, I don't know. He's part of the joke, but he's not the joke. You know what I mean? He's he yeah, no. has more nuance, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, and and Wagner never lets you lose. He he never sacrifices the nuance of dread, even if he doesn't play it up. You know, at that point, he just pushes dread to to the fringes or whatever. And so, yeah, that's part of what's great about the pit is by that point you have Wagner taking dread and doing as as you had mentioned in our previous episode kind of doing what they did in the early years of dread which is kind of change his surroundings and put him in a different situation very different situation from his status quo but what really makes it work is that Wagner has such a strong grasp on dread at this point um that it's you know it's kind of effortless it's really um interesting what is so much fun about the pit i think is it's it's a dread story that is not a dread story dread is entirely in character throughout you know it's at least to begin with as well it's dread and uh, it's wagner and scara doing it yes which so, is so great. You're sort of, yeah you're almost mm-hmm. like primed to be like well this is this is the most real dread you know Right, like right, this, exactly. this is real shit. Yeah, but Wagner is also very clearly being like, hey, okay, but I'm turning it into an ensemble drama. 
You know, like well, I, I, right. a bit of a soap opera as well. Yes. I think that's the part that is pretty, to me, pretty great. Is you've seen Wagner is not, you know, it's not new for him to throw a bunch of new characters at you. It's not new for him to take a bunch of characters and have them, uh, have the story be about them. But it is, it's interesting and fun to see Wagner tackle the police drama-ness of it and being like, okay, I'm going to write about six or eight different judges. I'm going to introduce them all. And I'm going to introduce all of them have like a conflict. They've got a secret thing that is driving them and they all have a degree of, of interconnected relationships with one another. Boom. Let's go. Well, that's, that's what's so interesting. You know, we have seen Dread with other judges. We've seen other judges as ongoing supporting characters. But right. in those circumstances, they've purposely been supporting char- characters to Dread, right? Mm-hmm. Their their relationships were relationships to Dread first and foremost. And one of the things that's fun about the bit is that's not the case. Right. These characters have relationships with each other that are uh, external to Dread, and that's the point. Uh, yeah. Marco, right. Well, Marco's having right. an affair with mm-hmm. another judge, and she hopes Red doesn't find out. Yes, you yeah, know, like absolutely, and that that is that feels new to me. In in the oh, history. definitely, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. it's so fun to see him do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, because I think uh, again, I think what happens is Wagner will take a take another character, you know, like like Giant or Castillo or, you know, and it's usually, an, you know, another judge, but it could be, you know, uh, you know, it could be like the protagonist of, of Oz, you know, um, and, but, and he might halfway through throw in three or four others to like give his mega prog a bit, bit of juice it's been a while i i don't think i've ever seen wagner like be like okay here are yeah here's six new characters and you know it's clear demarco story is the one that's his favorite and the one that he's interested in but he also does have characters that are you know they're right they're 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 on the edge and he finds that interesting and what's great is the inherent drama because because this is also a dread story about dread like is dread going to be able to be a good section chief because he is this is not his bag this is not what he's comfortable in mm-hmm. and also you know he's in a sector house that is a mess that is corrupt that has, you know, the fact that there's a rogue deep cover, you know, <laughs> judge that's out there on the streets, you know, is like, it's, it's all just really great. It's a, it's a great read. And it's, it's, it's kind of, hmm, how is it, you know, it's funny because bless their hearts, um, the people at, at 2000 AD and rebellion seem more or less um, legally required 
to try and drum up excitement about the dread TV show that I'm, I'm 80 to 90% sure will not happen. Um, but you know, like it is amazing how much I'm like, wow, well, this is like the pit is the easiest way to do dread the TV show. But part of me is like, but it, the great part is that it would be better if it's like season seven of dread, the TV show when they need to make, you know, kind of, kind of shake things up <laughs> when know? they need to prime uh, the spinoff. Yeah. Well, it does feel a little bit like a backdoor pilot. Like it is really easy to imagine if like two episodes from now, dread leaves the pit, they get a new section boss and then, you know, the pit becomes the next magazine storyline written by Wagner with all these characters. It's, there is a little bit of the, oh, so Dredd's become a private detective in Hawaii, you say, you know, kind of feel to it. <laughs> that again, also weirdly feels fun. It It is odd, though. I mean, it, I guess part of it is, is why do you think that... It, to the extent that this is even worth discussing or, or is why does Wagner have to come up with a new like section of mega city one that's worse than the other sections of mega city one. And these are the cops that everyone's forgotten about considering how consistently mega city one has been crafted into a, barely working, mostly broken uh, social structure anyway. Like, is that just to up the drama of it? Or I mean, just yes, to get I, the I, clean think, start? I think that's, I think it's to up the drama. And also it sets up a very particular framework for the fit, pit to exist in, right? Because it sets up something that allows Dredd a very particular place in the narrative. He's going in to clean up this sector house. Mm-hmm. It's the worst sector house, and so he can say that without saying, "Well, all sector houses are shittily run," mm-hmm. or or undermine the idea that the judges are, for the most part, competent. Right. Because if this sector house was was a stand-in for all of the sector houses, then you'd be like, "Well, the, you, oh God, the judges are fucked up." But instead, he sets it up as this is where all of the failures have been sent. This is a sacred house that has been used as dumping grounds for everyone who's fucked up. Interesting. Well, part of me, of course, is it's the natural drama of like, oh, it's the world's sternest, toughest judge meeting the world's most corrupt, lax sector house. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, can can he clean it up? And also, is is he is he the right judge to do it? Because one of the things Mm -hmm. that's fun about the pits for me is it feels like it sort of underscores that. Dread is okay. Dread is the law. Dread is a, an authority figure, but Dread also does not work as being an authority figure inside the judges. Dread is not comfortable having. He's not comfortable necessarily with his his reputation, but he's especially not like he's never wanted to be chief judge. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't really want to be on the council of five. He doesn't have ambitions in that sense. He wants to to be a judge. And so when you basically take them off the streets and are like, you're in charge of the other judges, mm-hmm. that's an uncomfortable position for him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's an inherent drama in there for me. But then when you give him the additional, but they're all shit judges. Right. Give him a, a way to work again. 
Because mm-hmm. he, mm-hmm. he will get pissed off at the shitty judges. Like, you can't imagine Dredd being a sector's chief of competent judges. Right. Hmm. But you can't imagine him cleaning up the shit. Well, yes, sector. exactly. Right. You know? Right. So it's, it's it, true. It, you know, it seems like a really smart way to to have the soft reboot. Mm-hmm. To bring in char- new characters that are not miniature dreads. You know, to bring mm-hmm. in some moral ambiguity. But to not break the world of Judge Dredd as a strip. You know, you offer new challenges to to Dredd. But you also bring in all these new characters who offer new challenges to the strip. Yeah, I... I... I, I see that. It's interesting and strange to me. Like, it's great, but at the same time, I'm like, I think because it feels, it's fun and also fascinating to see Wagner re- soft reboot, recreate, reshape a strip that was, is is more or less his, you know, is his yeah. definitive. Like, part of me is like, yeah, he could have done all of those things. I think one thing that's great about Wagner that I guess I should keep in mind is is that Wagner doesn't really like shutting off possibilities. And so no. he, I, I think it is very, it's like, this is the kind of thing that he wanted to do. And you're right. He just sort of creates the little playground and then he sends dread off and makes him play in it and that and 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 so he can still come back and do whatever mega city one story that he wants to tell like you know it's clear in in fact one of the things that is is great about the cow files is how much it feels like wagner is revisiting you know literally the day the law died and and judge caligula i think it's very funny and telling that that he never gets called that in the cal tapes he's only just judge cal mm-hmm. um is that is that wagner is like oh yeah i think i think i want to do something with the idea of all powerful judges and their political maneuverings. You know what I mean? So it's, he's kind of like, I don't, I can't, I don't want to destroy, you know, destroy all of Mega City One so that I can tell the story of the bit. I'm going to draw off the area of the bit. And then when I want to come back and tell the story in which, you know, you, you basically have you know, a, a judge, that, another form of spying judge that isn't just the SJS, you mm-hmm. know, but is mm-hmm. somebody who's now spying on the populace and doesn't stop it just there. You know, there's, um, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're flipping, we're flipping between stories, maybe because the Cal files and the pit are like the two really interesting stories in the book, but the Cal files feels, Cal files and the pit feel like they are almost, Wagner looking at two different approaches to Mega City One and to the judges. Yes, exactly. And I, I think that's my was I was realizing in the course of talking about it. What's amazing is it's him realize well, him realizing. I think he's aware of it. It's me realizing and reading it. He is 
he's he's still doing what Wagner does, which is like, oh, there's another way to go with this. Like, here's another way to do a dread story. Um, and maybe that's part of why the rest of the other material in this book is very much everyone being like, oh, I, I think I've just about got the formula for a good Judge Dredd story nailed down. And, you know, and Wagner is like, yeah, you forgot the part where you where you basically break the formula, but you also manage to keep it up your sleeve for when you need it. So, yes, uh, my my grand point was basically everyone's trying to figure out how to perfect the thing that you know Wagner's in the process of once again redefining and maybe that's also part of the reason why I mean in particular the jarringness of going from the pit to the magazine stories which like you said have some lovely art in them although there's a lot of lovely art in the 2000 AD part as well I definitely felt for me that this volume uh, seem to have a. It wouldn't surprise me if the behind the scenes was editorial realizing that they had to put more resources behind 2000 AD. You know, that it was more important at this point than the magazine. And I know that flips and reverses and things, but the fact that the pit is happening in 2000 AD rather than the magazine itself is. Um, in a way, kind of odd, you know. It's you mean uh, in that it's only happening in one, or in that we are seeing it in the weekly comic as opposed to the the in theory, you know, older reader focused. Yes, I I think I I would say arguably both, but more the latter, more definitely the way that the the mission statement with the way the magazine sounded like it was being launched with, it really feels like the pit is exactly it's it's Wagner working in his in a lot of the mode that we've seen in the back half of the last couple of case file volumes because he's doing most of the heavy lifting in the magazine and doing great like this is this the pit is from it in the same world as the mechanismo stuff you know what I mean it's very much of that same sort of world, even as it's an entirely different type of tale, I mm-hmm. suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, in a weird way, I think the pit has to run in 2080, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if there, there's been an editorial decision to, you know, put more emphasis on 2080 as much as it's necessarily been a realization that. For want of a better way of putting it, the important dread continuity stuff is going to happen in 2080. I forget. They had dithered a few times and to fans' frustration about how they were going to handle that, right? Like, we've seen story crossover stories run between the magazine and 2000 AD. We've heard that the, the mature adult dread stories were going to happen in the magazine and like the 2000 AD stuff was going to be a little bit, not the placeholder dread, but sort of eternal dread stories. I don't know. You know, I I mean, I'm not sure if that was ever necessarily outright stated, Mm -hmm. but I do feel that 
we've seen when Wagner seemed to be concentrating more in the magazine and Ennis was concentrating more in 2008, it definitely felt that you, you were going to see uh, experimental stories, for want of a better way of putting it. Right, right. Um, in the magazine. Mm-hmm. And 2008, he was going to be, you know, upfront dread. <laughs> well, and I mean, you know, even though he's in a new position, like, the pit is... You know, it, it's pretty straightforward dread stuff. It's also very, you know, it's Wagner. But I think it is, it's interesting seeing the strip uh, through the lens of, if you just jump back 10 years and you see the sort of stories that are going on in 2000 AD, by and large, you know, there's, I don't know. It, it's just, um, it's, it's quite a thing. It's quite a thing, which is probably my gentle way of saying I've maybe run out of things to say about the pit other than I love it. And it was really hard not to jump ahead and continue to read. But I felt that was cheating in a way. But that's one of the very interesting things about the pit. And honestly, the Califiles as well. They make dread seem like less of a dead end. You and I have spoken in the last couple of episodes about the formulaic nature of dread, yes. especially as other writers are approaching it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and again, the magazine is so much lesser to me in this book than the 2003 stuff, and in large part it's because that stuff does hew to the formula. Mm-hmm. You know, as you say, Wagner is, I mean, just ignoring the formula in both Kyle Files and the Pit. Right. You know, and and one of the fun things about the Cal Files is that it it basically swerves and makes the reader think that it's going to completely blow up the Dread status quo. Yes, by suggesting that you know Fargo might be Dread's father as opposed to uh, mm-hmm. you know clone father, mm-hmm. uh, and and maybe the past isn't what anyone thought it is, which in a strange way feels like a very 1990s story. You know, the everything you thought you knew was wrong. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, in fact, yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. And then swerves away from that, which is, is one of the fun things, right? It really does make you think that Wagner is going to go there. And then he's just like, nah, fuck that. I'm just pretending. I'm fucking with you. But in the process, he introduces Edgar, who is a, a, a wonderful foil for Dread. And, and maybe most concretely to date, the face of the judges and the judicial system as something that dread is at odds with to some degree right you know mechanism did this to an extent mm-hmm. and then wagner for want of a better way took the easy way out mm-hmm. by saying oh no it's, it's magruder but also you know the shadowy forces inside that that have been taken care of and magruder by the way is retired right he he, he seems to cut it off and then now he's introducing edgar and edgar feels very much more part of the 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 body of the justice system. Well, you, you know, know right. at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She seems very very rooted within it. Yes, and I think I think that might be I I could be wrong, but you know, you and I had talked about how much the Magruder dread collision slash confrontation felt kind of forced and and more out of nowhere than I would have liked and I feel that Edgar is 
a solution, you know, to that, that, that maybe in the course of Wagner, either not liking the way it turned out himself, or even feeling that he was forcing things the wrong way. Like you said, Edgar really introduces that element right from the, the get go that, 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 that she and Dread are at odds, um, in in part because at one point she chides herself for not being forthright with him, and that that you know that he felt like you know she basically was like oh he felt like I used him, and a man like Dread doesn't like feeling used, you know, and and honestly some of her fears are for the most part. Um, it, are unfounded at that point. Like, she can't help but see Dread as a political creature. And the fact is, Dread, I think, is is good at playing that thing, those those that role. But but hates it, does not want it. And um, I, you know, I I think the Cal Files does do. You know, it's weird. I had that moment where I, like, we were talking and I'm like, John Wagner is like Jack Kirby. And I just, I can't, I can't think of how I got there. And I kind of <laughs> want to go back there. You're like, um, you're like no, I don't know why I, I, one of the ways I'm going to spin off that, one yeah. of the ways that I think that is true is that, like Kirby, Wagner is constantly trying to go forward. Yes. I think that's kind of where I was going with you know, like he's not going to blow up what came before, which also I think is an, another Kirby-esque trope. But he's constantly looking for new things to do. Yeah. You know, whether it is mechanismal mm-hmm. or introducing, you know, Edgar. Right. And I do like I do like talking about Edgar that he makes explicit J. Edgar Hoover reference. Yes. That's, that's very clear. Right. The J. He's Edgar Hoover. Yeah. Edgar is is a new type of threat to dread, mm-hmm. but a new way in which the justice system feels like it is it is too much, mm-hmm. and then just stepping line, you know, and and that I really appreciate that. But then again, you get to the pit, which is a new type of dread story, mm-hmm. and and none of this wipes away what has come before, and in fact, it all seems very additive. One of the things I like, even as far as we get in here and in, in the pits is you get to see Castillo return. You get to see giant return. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and yeah. That, that feels, that feels fun for long-term fans or, or, you know, not even long-term fans, but people like us who have been reading it all so quickly. Yeah, completely. You no, know, cause you get a payoff that you didn't see coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it does, it feels additive. It feels new. It feels exciting. Uh, and and that's again. You look at the formulaic nature of the magazine stories, or of what other writers are doing, and Wagner just seems to be playing on an entirely different field. Yeah, I think so. And it could be because he's a nine hundred pound gorilla, and and they have no choice but to let him. And and frankly, the editors are still, I think, trying to cobble up their, you know. <laughs> their Wagner version of Mechanismo, you know, somebody who's going to be able to, to crank out hundred percent acceptable dread stories, you know, and, 
And so they may not even have the latitude or the freedom. But it it is interesting. Yeah, the Wagner-Kirby thing was the idea of like, oh, right, yeah, when Kirby comes back to Marvel in the 70s, he's not interested in telling the same stories that he was telling the first time around. He's still very much telling things in his, you see the continuity from his work at DC or whatever, but he's, he's like, you know, you look at, you know, his run on Captain America, which I had just recently been rereading in the seventies and Cap is a, uh, is a is a is a, a a hook to hang Kirby stories on, you know, and in a way that d- makes him less interested in in either a crafting sort of his glory days return to blah blah blah, or b even you know particularly continuity heavy takes, you know it's funny that that actually sort of flies in the face of what you were saying, but. Giant and Castillo are huge rewards uh, because because Wagner doesn't do that very often. You know, he does it more than others do, but he still is pretty sparing. And one of the things that's great about it is, is when Giant and Castillo show up and they're both more or less put in undercover positions, you're like, this is great. You know, like I'm so excited. I would be excited if this was just a regular story where Giant gets to go undercover and, you know, beat up some perps and be awesome, you know. Um, So, yeah, it just ended it just ended up there's 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 so much to love in the pit. And maybe that's, again, part of the reason why the rest of the volume is like, yeah, it's fine. It's okay, But. But that's just it, right? It is. It, it's the problem with the magazine stuff in particular is that it comes after the pit. Oh yeah. So you almost have not exactly reprogrammed your brain, but Wagner is going. Oh no, you can do this with Dread as well. Right. You know, I've I've come up with this other thing to do. Isn't this interesting? Isn't this fun? And you're like, oh, it is. I like this. I like seeing these other judges. I like seeing Dread in this different position. Right. And then you immediately flip back to the traditional Dread stories done with, honestly, varying degrees of success. Yes. And so you really are just left being like, okay, sure, I guess. And it's a shame because even, again, even something like Killing Time, you know, the Wagner stuff, Killing Time, Judge Butters, which again is Wagner and it, it does exactly what it's supposed to. It pales in comparison to what you've just read. Do you think that you would have liked this volume much more and or uh, given it higher marks or higher ranking if just for this it just for this one volume they had reversed the order and ran the mega city magazine stories first and ended on the 2080 stuff? I actually think I might have. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I mean, because of course you would just end on such a great high note, you know, in a way you. I'd be still cursing, you know, that it was like, what? Where's the rest of the goddamn story? I need it now. But it but it wouldn't be like, bah, bah. so. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. By, by ending midway through the pit and then going to the magazine stuff, which is by its nature, mm-hmm. you know, 
an anthology. An anthology of, again, people who are doing the dread stories you expect to varying degrees of success. Yes. It doesn't do that material any favors whatsoever. The format of the book really does not help. And then, you know, there is stuff like, you know, the magazine stuff, Tattoo Hell is not great, you know? The Ballad of Cindy Crawlskin is not great. Oh, yeah. And so, and mm-hmm. so it's... That 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 also doesn't help by mm-hmm. having really weak material. Don't get me wrong. Again, there's weak material in 2018 material here. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I didn't like the Alan Grant stuff. I didn't like the Pat Mills stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the Mark Miller stuff. But somehow that still didn't seem to drag down everything else around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet the magazine feels like every poor version does bring the good stuff around it down somehow it, it's a it's a really odd thing well it could it could be it's probably page length too right like the 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 stories the magazine stories are just longer i think right naturally yeah yeah um, yeah so it's 10 pages as opposed to five to six yeah right so i mean you know the the thing you know the miller story is like as as crap as it is if it's over in 10 pages you know whereas the really like tattoo hell is just you know has two more pages left or something you're kind of like Ugh. you know like the 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 it it's your it's the old proverbial 10 pounds of shit in the 5 pound bag you know it's 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 a lot easier in a way i think to stomach the 2000 ad stuff because it's there, It you know, if it's kind of terrible, well, it, it's, it's gone soon. Honestly, it's also that the 2080 stuff actually moves faster. Yeah. Because oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, you know, even if, even the man who broke law, which is two episodes and then for 10 pages, yeah. has more in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is more happening mm-hmm. than a one-off from the magazine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that helps because the magazine stuff does feel more of a slog in comparison. Yeah, for sure. For sure, you know it, it's it is it is a shame. I do wonder what it would have been like if the the magazine stuff had come first here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure I would have because it's it's also the the Drock or Dross question. Mm-hmm. I would say this is Drock. Well, it's I mean, you know, yeah, it's, like yeah, I I and so it's not like I'm saying this is a bad book, but it just the stuff that disappoints somehow disappoints more. Okay, so here's here's the thing that I normally do with you, and I agree, by the way, that this this is definitely Drock. I I think that um, you know, just by nature of the cow files and the pit, it it really ends up being Drock. But but I think again, I like some of the other stuff more, as I like to sometimes torture you with. What would be your pick? Of the non-Wagner, would be your favorite non-Wagner story? And if I had to, had to really put a gun to your head and torture you from the 2000 AD and the the magazine. Okay, stuff. separately. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, my pick of the non-Wagner 2000 AD is the Miller one because I like the Steve Yule art. Oh, nice! That makes sense. Of course, you love Steve Yule. The, yep. the Dan Abnett story is better for Champ. Yeah, but ten pages of Steve Yule art. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with that. It's wow. Okay. All right. Um, and in terms of the magazine, it is fuck. I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
it's probably compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, compassion fatigue is not Simon bad. Davis. It's got some potential and uh, good Simon not Davis art. Because yeah, Simon Davis. It, the last page of that Simon Davis is two like full on portraits of of mm-hmm. Dread that are amazing. Yeah, yeah, that are like just shockingly good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, may, maybe maybe it's that. It's interesting. I see. I think that I think I liked more of the magazine stuff than you did. I liked. Once I got over my initial, like, blah, I liked Killing Time. I actually did like Judge Spotters is sort of a classic. Killing non... Time's Wagner. You told me non-Wagner. No, 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 I know. I'm saying I like the magazine stuff generally, and that's why I'm talking about the two Wagner stories. But if I had to pick my, I mean, that's the thing. For non-Wagner, I think I would go Mondo Simp because it bloomed really did like kind of knock me off my feet and the Paul Marshall art is really lovely in it. Uh, but I also like blood sports. So I, I have two picks in the magazine that are non Wagner. And then, and then in 2000 AD it's, it's champ for me. It's not, it's not even close. Although that being said, like I said, there's stuff that I like about the man who broke the law. Um, and I guess in its way, dead simple, you know, which again, Wagner, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I would say it's much easier for me to call this volume Drock than Dross, which is, uh, surprising because you definitely sound a little more conflicted about it. I think if you take the Wagner stuff out of this, you, you... oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But isn't that true of every volume? Like... Yeah. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like it's, I, with the Wagner material in there, I'm like, oh, it's Drock easily. Oh, easily. Exactly. Because, because yeah. I think Calophiles in the Pit are so good. Yeah. yeah. But you take those two out and, you know, it really, the quality drops significantly, even with the other Wagner stuff in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, I like some of the Wagner stuff more than you did. Like J- Judge Spotter, I thought was okay. You know, Dead I, Simple, I, I, whatever. Yeah. I think Judge yeah. Spotter is kind of terrible, but I, I really do like Killing Time. And honestly, I like Killing Time because that. Paul Marshall art. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. Paul Marshall is is does, offers great art in this book, and I'm surprised. I remember Paul Marshall, you know, when I was reading 2018, I never really rated him. Art wise, I think this this book is actually surprisingly strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think there's some really really great stuff here, which does make it easier again to say drug. But but in terms of writing, you take the cow files and then the pit out of here, and the book becomes you know, almost infinitely worse. It's just that those two stories in particular are shockingly good. Oh, they are. They absolutely uh, are good. Yeah. That I think we haven't seen Dread in it, it, for for books. Mm-hmm. And and so that's that's kind of the, the joy of this book, that you do get, you know, really forward motion in a way that I don't think we've had for a while. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's funny. I'm not sure that I see I see the pit as forward motion as much as something new. Like, you know, like was it was it one volume or two volumes ago when it was what Asteria or whatever? You know the oh Wilderlands. What's that? Wilderlands. Yeah, Wilderlands. Wilderlands is Wagner and Iscara, and I liked you know like 80 to 90% of that 
Like I really did. Yeah, I, not it's the, not the. It's not as good as the pit, mind you. Yeah, but but, but the Wilderlands felt like another mega epic. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, 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 I guess I'm complaining by saying that, but I, I, I feel that sounds more complaining than than it's intended to be. But Wilderlands works like a mega epic, mm-hmm. right? Like here's here's Dread's impossible situation. How is he going to get out of this? And the impossible situation in the pit feels much more existential, <laughs> you know, because it's it's not like how is Dread actually going to survive this threat to his life as much as is Dread going to be a good boss or not? Probably not. That's so funny. I I'm apparently more down with Dread as boss than than you are. I think he shows a lot of really no no smart, I, I, good I, management. You know, ultimately, I think he does. Yeah, but I I think. I, I I don't know how much of this is is me thinking about sort of you know the grand the grand operating theory of dread, mm-hmm. but dread across the years is offered multiple opportunities to be chief judge, right, and makes it clear he does not want that job. Mm-hmm. He ends up in Council Five, basically through I mean not necessarily underhanded measures, but you know he doesn't want to be there shall we say. And he, he doesn't make it uh, uh, a secret that he doesn't want to be there. And I think that Dredd has no interest in being a boss. I think to the extent that Dredd is a boss or is a successful boss, it's because he is you know, almost unbending in his principles and will project them onto other people. You know, that's not to say that Dread doesn't change, because one of the things that we've enjoyed is that Dread does. He just does it really fucking slowly. Right, right. You know? But we've seen, at this point, you know, more than a decade's worth of stories in which Dread will Dread will come into conflict with someone. Mm-hmm. And Dread's solution is basically to be more Dread to wear them down. Right, right. You know? And so... To the extent that he is a good section chief, he's a good section chief because he can't not be. Mm-hmm. He can't. He can't let people get away with shit because that's just not the way he works. Well, you know, I, on the one hand, I agree with you. On, on the other hand, I do find myself being—I don't know. You know, like in in my heart of hearts, I think you're absolutely making fantastic points um but in in my for me i think that how do i put it like part of the joy of dread is over the over these volumes is seeing wagner figure out ways to tell the sort of story that he wants to tell with dread in it and so there's something that is inherently delightful about the idea that John Wagner finally, after, you know, two dozen years, decides that he actually wants to tell cop stories in Judge Dredd. And how does he make that happen? You know, it lines up very well. But it, to me, it's a little bit like, oh, Dredd's going to go to jail. How's he going to get out of there? Like, for me, Wilderlands is kind of, you know... um Wagner being like, I kind of want to do some space settler fiction, you know? I feel like I had done a couple of these, you know, Cursed Earth Megaprogs or, like, Dread in Space, and they never really quite work out right, and there's got to be a way to do it, and and I'm going to do it like this, you know? Like, I feel, I feel like Wagner has 
the things that he wants to tell and sort of in the same way that they're not necessarily judge dread stories. Um, but I think what, what is, he's wonderful at being able to thread that character through it and figuring out ways to make the character and the narrative either complement one another or, um, bounce off one another. But, but in my head, part of me is like, yeah, it's, you know, it's Wagner wanting to tell a cops, tell cop stories and be like, well, why don't I, you know, like what's the best way to tell stories about the police force, uh, in the world of judge dread in an area where I haven't, where, where it's really not like the police, you know, and, and sort of similar. I think the judge Edgar is a, you know, it's not as if Wagner and Grant were exactly what you would call, um, you know, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed about the idea of authority. You know, they were, they were, they were jaundiced conservatives, you know, or something, you know, extraordinarily conservative liberals or wherever it, it falls on the spectrum. And I think one of the things that's interesting about Edgar uh, is, is how much I feel the nature of how we see the police, how the culture sees the police um, has ch changes so much from the time that dread starts in the seventies to where we're at now. And, and Wagner I think Wagner as a member of the society and the culture is educated by that, like, and, and wants to continue to be engaged by it. And so I think that also starts, how do I put it? I want to say that it, it ends up serving the drama well, because what ends up happening is you end up having a much more societally, a suspicious view of authority again and and you you know but you kind of have to keep dread as the hero so it sort of makes sense plus it adds more drama to the idea if dread ends up being sort of the odd man out in the world of the judge politics and he's got people like uh, Edgar who are for whom he's going to run afoul because dread after the events of America and letter to a Democrat and everything has more of a belief in democracy, I suppose, or freedom, you know, in, in his weird way. I don't know. I think I'm yeah. just ranting at this point. Yeah. So hmm, I feel like part of me is like, I could bore you with more stuff that I thought of while high for Mondo Simp, but frankly, none of it would apply. Cause like what, I said, I really what, thought it was well, John What Riker. I like so much is like, you, you like Mondo Simp so much more than I did. I did. I absolutely did. It was weird. It was strange. I wasn't expecting it. I really do think that the part it, part of that is the art. I think part of it is, kind of me being like, oh, this is so funny. It's like John Wagner trying to write like Grant Morrison. And then as time went on, I'm like, oh, he might really be doing it. And in fact, I've really got to say, this is way more, um, has way more positive things about 
and this is going to sound horribly cliched, but like sexual, the importance of sexual rebellion, I suppose, in, well, I mean, in a thing, very coded story, I suppose. Sure, but you've got to remember that, like, John Smith's gay. Well, A. Which was John Wagner. Is it's not, not. Clearly. Exactly. So being high, I was like, holy cow. But yeah, but even once I, re- once I stepped away from it, I didn't know that John Smith is gay, but it's hardly surprising after reading Mondo Simp. And Mondo Simp is, a, in that sense, again, seems like a really using the Dread Universe to tell a really kind of personal story. You know, I, what's funny like. to me is Mondo Simp is it, first of all, I don't really like the Simps, and I do think the Simps yes. are, are oddly overused in this book, even though they only appear really in two stories. But like, I don't think there's enough there there for them to have two stories in the same book. First of all, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But secondly, Mondo Simp I find really disappointing because it feels like watered down versions of John Smith being John Smith in other stories. Mm, that which could, which makes sense because as someone you know, who which hasn't I, read I, a lot I, of his other stuff, I, was gonna say, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. think you have like you have read Indigo Prime or Devil mm-hmm. Noir or other stuff, right? That I does what he does here. Mm-hmm. In a much more interesting way, and honestly, in a way that it is allows him to go further. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By which I don't mean like the simp stuff at all, but the the you know almost the the poetry captions, right? When, you know when when he's having his his awakening, his simp awakening. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think is made me go, oh, it's just it's just like he did in Indigo Prime or Revere, but not as interesting. Right. Whereas for me, and I think that that is a good point, um, it seems slightly more interesting to me. Sort of the way that when um, Peter Milligan did his Dread story, like it's a very atypical Dread story and a very sort of standard Milligan McCartney, McCarthy story. But, McCarthy, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, but for me, part of the joy is kind of seeing that in the Judge Dredge universe. And again, I, I definitely take your point, but sort of in the weird way that as as the third corner of a triangle formed by uh, Dead Simple and uh, the man who broke the law, it's um, it's more just satisfying than either of them and to me sure more I, can, I can see that i can see that there, there, yeah. there's actually it's doing something with sort of the core aspect of both yes because i think that the core aspect of the other two is dread versus weirdness weirdness huh uh. <laughs> and there's not really anything to it you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like simping is like you know not normal mm-hmm. for for that simple or or the Futsi is just like, people act weird. Dread can't deal with weird because he's the man. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, both of those feel very facile. Yeah. And at least Mondo Simp has a, has a, a, subcon- a subtext, not subcontext, a subtext to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I mean, to me, I think that Miller's subtext, again, in the most annoying tedious sort of way is is also miller talking about who he isn't and it may just be that mondo simp to me works so well because it is smith um 
talking about who he is, you know? And so, and so it's just a very, very different context that ends up in very, uh, in a, in a very similar place, I guess, you know, it's like, yes, I, thus I refute the judge dread, but the, but the, the, the judge trans in a story that literally ends with Dre going, judges aren't human, which I will never forgive. Yeah. In, in, like, it's so unsubtle and terrible. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's genuinely shockingly bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, it's it's mighty shit. And yet still ends up being your favorite non-Wagner story because you're a sucker. But again. you all are. Yo, yeah. I get it. No, I, I, I have to give it up for you, Graham. I have to give it up for you. You contain multitudes. Like the fact that you're like, yeah, it sucks. But oh man, that art, like spoken like spoken like. Comics I mean, fan. One, one of the things I've done recently is rereads all of Zen. So I like coming across that again. Mm. I was just like, Steve Yowl, though. <laughs> Steve Yowl. He's just Steve really good. He's yeah, the guy. Fuck. But the other thing I don't like about Montesimp, and I know you will entirely disagree, is I could mm-hmm. not shake the feeling while reading it that it was like a really shitty Joker origin story. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, again, the Repent Harlequin said the TikTok man is kind of all over it. You know, it's the there's that whole point where he sort of ends up in the bat cave, you know what I mean? Except it's sort of a bat cave. That's, you know, a tribute to Johnny Mondo. And then there's all the Johnny Mondo stuff, which is weird and uh, unnecessary. And again, was one of those weird, like, huh? Yeah. I, I sort of feel like Mark Miller, like sat down, read Mondo simp, thought about what he had done with the man who broke the law and then looked at Mondo Simp again and is like, I, I've, I've learned a lesson and grown as a writer. It's super important that you have someone who looks like Jonathan Ross in your story so that you can then try and get them to talk about it because that's super, super important if you want to be a good comic writer and I, Mark Millar, want to be that was the first thing that he did the jonathan ross or the first thing he had published with jonathan ross oh was it was predated this and and yes. smith is biting yes. that okay well yes. sorry he he's he, like he, i he need to like, make my character he knew that like... on a, a molecular level but he point. did he did yeah it is totally true um, which he then went on to do. Oh my God! Someday, someone, someone really does need to do Grist for the Miller, the 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 Mark Miller career retrospective podcast. You know, and what I mean? think you just volunteered yourself with that name. Come on! <laughs> I just I want to be a guest on it so that I can talk about the whole the Wanted years and him using his network of underemployed Scottish stringers to like tell stories about how Eminem was interested in starring and wanted and how his people were talking and there was so much interest. Colin Smith's literally writing the book on this. Oh, is he? Oh my God. Yeah. Colin Colin Smith is is literally writing a book called Shameless, which is a a career retrospective of Mark Miller. I had no idea. And that is the best thing that I've heard all day. That is great news. I can't wait. Hopefully he'll have a companion podcast. (laughs) That you you will guest on. Uh, Jeff, 
even including Wagner stories, what's your favorite story in this? Oh, God. Even including, it's got to be The Pit. I mean, The Pit's like... The pit's like a five-course meal where, like, every course is great. But, I mean, it, if I had to pick a favorite story that is not the pit, I don't, it's the cow files. I don't know, Graham. That, yeah, that no, one's a is, toughie, but right? But it is. Those, yeah. two, those two are, like, significant. I just – I want to know if you agreed with me, to be honest. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I do. I definitely do. I also have to say that um, John Burns art, on the cow files is great. We've had some last couple of volumes with John Burns where his art is, I'm like, what's he doing here? And, and the cow files, it all clicks. It all comes together. Great. His, his illustration style on it is fucking fabulous. And his color choices and his use of the washed out whites at key crucial moments. I'm yep. just into it. It's it that is beautiful. Um but yeah. No, it's uh definitely those two those two themselves like you said, if you take them out, the whole volume becomes so much more dire. But the fact that they're in here like, you know, the rest of the stuff could probably be all Mark Miller material and Garth Ennis material and I'd be like, yeah, it's definitely a drock. Definitely Definitely a drock. You know, hold your nose through all the dross. No, but that's that's how I feel about this book in a really weird way. I'm like, yeah, there's so much here that's just, you know, it's fine. Mm -hmm. But those two things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. So, yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited to read volume 25 and get more, more pit into my life. I have to say, really into it. Yeah, no, I, I do think that the pit really does bring like new life to this mm-hmm. in a way that, that that is honestly unexpected the, the next volume volume 25 i think all of the 2000 ad stuff is wagner oh wow sorry there's okay. there one strip that is john smith mm. the rest is all wagner mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then magazine i think just continues on the same sort of framework that is going now which is to say a lot of different writers because there's only four magazine stories in the wow, entire thing. Wow, really? Yep, only four magazine stories. Are they super long then to take up half nope, the volume? they're or? all from one issue. Holy smokes. And it is one Mark Wigmore, one John Wagner, one Paul Neal, and one Robbie Morrison. And that's it. <laughs> right? Wow. Um, so that that's what we've got to look forward to. I will say that I, because it is me, of course I've looked forward uh, to Volume 25. And Volume 25 does have possibly the worst magazine story we've ever seen. Holy cow. I've really not liked a lot of the early magazine stories, so that's going to be amazing. Just wait. Just wait. There's one that uh, I think is going to infuriate you. <laughs> really oh jesus that doesn't sound good at all oh no (laughs) um yeah so that that's happening in a month or not (laughs) oh lord above all right i will start stealing my nerves now for the hatred drock in a month but next week is another wait what that's right are you excited to talk about all the crazy comics stuff that's happened recently yeah, I am actually. Well, actually, what's happened? Oh, I'm sure we're going to do like a whole Jeff Jones episode. 
Oh, right. I guess the Jeff Johns, yeah, the Lebanese American episode. You're right. You're right. That's going to be huge. And right. The, <laughs> the <whole> thing. <laughs> even, even talking. For, to, yeah. What's that? I was going to say for people who are like, I'm, I'm sick of this Judge Dredd. Next week. I, I, I'll go, who knows what's going to happen in comics over the next <laughs> seven days, really. Maybe yeah. Jeff Johns will be old news by then. Completely. But as someone who read Geiger, I am looking forward to talking about it. <laughs> oh my god, that is that is kind of amazing. <laughs> um, I should, I should uh, start closing up things here by saying that there will be uh, show notes up for this episode at some point on Monday at waywalkpodcast.com. Your guess is as good as mine if there's going to be anything up on Instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod or uh, waitwhatpod.tumblr.com in the next week. I would say probably on Instagram, probably not on Tumblr. Um, otherwise, we have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybassid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-C-I-D. I take a breath. And I have a Twitter account <laughs> at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Uh, and we are a Patreon-supported podcast, which means Jeff is going to start talking right now right now hey everyone uh we are hugely hugely grateful to the hours of your life that you um are willing to contribute listening to us blab about comics and comics related things um it manages to to really have forged a very very strong connection i think with uh my beloved graham mcmillan um and I also think that the people on Patreon, by throwing us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh, uh, which is hugely appreciated, is able to keep us feeling um, inspired, uh, responsible, and duty-bound to try and um, give you the most wait-what-esque experience that you can get for your wait-what dollars uh, each and every episode. Um three times a month. We would like to give a super shout out to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for continuing support of this podcast and all the things that she does behind the scenes to keep uh, the judges in their place and the stars in their place. Graham? Jeff, I'd like to point out that some of the stars could be in different places, but that's just me because of the, the strange week that you have had that I have had, and also the world has had, uh, DMX <laughs> killing Prince Philip in the spirit zone, and then both of them disappearing into ether. It's been a strange, strange wow. end to a strange, strange week. <laughs> like I wasn't going to put that in somewhere. Yeah. I'm very impressed. Um, Jeff, it's a drug, so you sing us out. Oh, that's right. Well, uh, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the Isocubes, and we'll see you in 30. <laughs>